Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and you know today's guest from her roles in such films as Atonement, Amazing Grace, and Glorious 39, as well as the BBC miniseries, Emma and the Hour. She's been nominated for a BAFTA Award, as well as two Golden Globe Awards. It's the actor and filmmaker, Ramila Gary. We discuss Amulet and the contemporary ways it flips your expectations of a horror film. She also explains why social distancing will make period films near impossible to make. And she opens up about her time working with the late Patrick Swayze on the film Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. First of all, I literally just finished watching Amulet this morning, which maybe was not the best choice to watch early in the morning. Morning, morning, morning watch. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, I feel it's amazing and I feel cold, I think is the best way to describe my feelings. Uh, um, but let's just jump in and talk about this film. Uh, so tell me, I guess maybe I want to hear you describe it because I'm not sure how much to say or not. Uh, okay. So uh, Amulet is a gothic horror. Uh, it's about a man who is sort of down and out in London, in, in contemporary London. Um, and he gets, uh, you know, asked by a, a nun, an elderly nun who feels a bit sorry for him to move into the house of a young woman who's caring for her elderly mother. Um, who's um, in a very advanced state of kind of ill health and old age. And this young woman is is kind of suffering at the hands of, of her elderly mother, who um, you think maybe is abusive towards her. And so Thomas, this, this guy who's, um, you know, from an unnamed Eastern European country, uh, is brought into this weird house with this young woman who seems somewhat desperate and her kind of crazy older mother who's locked in the attic. And he's there to, um, you know, to help them out. Uh, and then at the halfway point of the film, everything that you kind of understand about the characters and about the situation changes and it takes a very supernatural turn. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> that I think that is the understatement of the year. Um, let, let me, uh, so this is your feature film directorial debut. So congratulations because... Um, making films are, are not easy, especially when you are the one making them. But where did the idea for this film come from? Uh, well, I, th I think I had been reading uh, a book not, not long before I thought, you know, maybe it would be good for me to try to make a film in, in the horror space. I'd read a book which was um, about the manhunt for Slobodan Milosevic. And I think <laughs> I became kind of interested in the idea of writing about... Uh, I guess people who have entered into society after a war and like how they re-enter into a society and, and how, you know, how much you can and can't um, change as a result of, of having been, a, you know, an actor in a war and no longer being an actor in a war. And I think that that was something that kind of got me started down that road. I mean, the film isn't really you know, about a, a war in any kind of obvious way. Um, but that was the thing that kind of got me going. Um, and I, you know, I was obviously really inspired by a lot of women moving into the genre space, space and making really interesting work in that space. Um, and, you know, usually those films have female protagonists, but this film ended up having a male protagonist. And I think I was quite interested in writing about how 
I suppose he was very uh, split in terms of his identity, that he could identify um, as being two quite different kinds of characters simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk more about that in a, in a moment here, but uh, going back to the the source here, I, I laughed a little bit because I did not expect that answer. But I think, was it more, did you want to make, was it the genre that led you to the story or the story that just, oh, this is the best genre to tell the story in? Oh, it's always the story. It's the story. And I think, you know, when you when you talk about like what genre it sits in, I think a lot of that kind of uh, terminology is sort of being put under a bit of strain because so many filmmakers now are working across those genres or reacting against them or kind of doing playful things with them. So although this film sits in the horror space, it's definitely more of a gothic horror. Um, and, you know, I had a pretty broad range of different influences uh, for it. But, you know, you have to have a reason to want to kind of, you know, get people to come and see it and something inside you that you want to share. And that that's always the kind of motivator. And I think it's uh, safe to say that you definitely play with the expectations and um, kind of the tropes that we've come to expect from a horror movie. And I wonder if you could talk to, or maybe just elaborate on that a little bit as much as you can, like why you did that or, or what was the idea behind that? You know, there's, there's a lot of um, uh, opportunity, I think, when you're, you're dealing with a horror film, which is about fear, to go into the kind of ins and outs of the male-female dynamic, you know, gender relations. Um, I would say that the kind of typical dynamic with a lot of these films is that, you know, there is the, the source of the threat is usually alien. I'm, I'm not literally an alien, but a monster. Uh, you know, a woman is at threat and a man is usually protecting her from that threat. And then obviously there are, you know, m many examples that subvert that, like The Shining or... But, you know, that that that, that is the kind of typical, you know, Greek I ideal that the, the films kind of usually uphold. And then, of course, you know, particularly at certain points in kind of history where you know, gender relationships go under the microscope, those things get subverted a lot. And I think it was definitely part of the uh, conversation I wanted to be having in this film is, you know, who is rescuing who and why? Uh, and, and that, you know, is very much the kind of central question that I wanted people to be asking all the time when they were watching it. And also, as, as I watched it, I was curious because there there are parts of it that don't feel like a horror movie or, or don't seem like they're filmed like a horror movie is a better way of saying that. And I wonder if you can elaborate on how you and your director of photography, uh, Laura Bellingham, approached shooting the film and um, what went into giving those parts those different feels. Yeah, we had quite a sort of wide range of different influences. I mean, I suppose the horror films that we really, you know, were really inspired by were from the European tradition. So there was a horror film that Claire Denis made called Trouble Every Day. There's a, a great film called Possession that was made by a Polish director called Zalowski. And, you know, then there are a couple of English directors, Peter Strickland and Ben Wheatley, whose work I really admire, who are working at the moment. But there, I mean, Peter Strickland particularly works in a kind of very um, uh, continental European tradition. But I, I mean, I suppose... I think of the film very much as being in the Gothic tradition, which means that there was a lot in the film that was 
horrific, but maybe more suggestive. And and whilst it goes to a very extreme place at the end of the film, uh, there's quite a, a lot of the film was about, for me, was about kind of withholding uh, what the information and what the audience was going to, so that, you know, the audience doesn't become inured to the kind of violence or potential violence. So that by the end of the film, when they're being asked to kind of really look at violence and be part of an act of violence, that they've not become kind of desensitized to it, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. And I, I'm just smiling because <laughs> it's having seen the film, it's such a, it's such a clinical and very precise way to describe it. And yet it's, yeah, I just, I'm so excited for people to see this because it will make, I think, even more sense of what you're saying because it definitely um, feels that way. And I'm wondering, as you talked about people, as I talked about people watching it, what was it like watching Amulet with an audience for the first time? Um, it's obviously comes from inside you. And I think with the first film, particularly raw, it's like very raw psychological data. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, uh -huh. it's not overly processed, you know, Um and so, you know, you and you share it with people on paper, obviously, a lot, but, you know, paper is paper. And then, you know, I put the film together with my editor and we, you know, spent a huge amount of time putting the film together, which was, you know, very intense experience. And, you know, we we thought we sort of understood what we had and we knew what we had and we knew what kind of references we'd done. And then, and then when we sat and watched the film for the first time, I mean, particularly acute was the screening in Sundance, where there was just the most extraordinary quality to the silence in the cinema when the film finished. <laughs> I was like, does it always feel like this? And people were like, no, 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 it doesn't always feel like this. I mean, it's a very, it goes to a very extreme place at the end. And there's a lot of kind of rage in the film and kind of vengeance in the film which I think is very palpable and makes people very uncomfortable hopefully in a kind of exciting way uh which you know I I personally like to have very visceral experiences when I'm watching films I'm not afraid of kind of melodrama if you like I like the the experience of watching a film to be a very intense one and so you know that's something that excites me I, I suppose and and you know, and, and I definitely got a kick uh, out of having the experience of standing in a in a room full of people who were all simultaneously kind of looking at the inside of your brain and totally horrified by what they were seeing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let's talk about Sundance a little bit, because this was your, uh, you, you're bringing your feature debut there, which is obviously a very prestigious thing. But you've also had a short film play there before. So what's it like going to Sundance as a short film director, which I think would be amazing, versus going there with your first feature film? Well, I'm deeply sort of sadly, um, but also um, for a happy reason, I uh, became pregnant after I'd submitted my my short to Sundance. I didn't think there was any way I would ever get in. So, you know, I didn't really think about <laughs> it. And then I couldn't go because I was, you know, eight months pregnant uh, when, when the festival uh, took place. So um, I think I was like incredibly sad that I hadn't been able to go I mean obviously happy I had my wonderful child but like it was very sad that I'd missed out on that opportunity because obviously it's a great opportunity as a director to go and an incredible honor to have your film um in competition there and uh so but but the also the sort of disadvantage I'd not really thought of before was that it meant that when I took Amulet when I had to go and do the screening for Amulet I really was you know properly like 
a virgin. You know, I really hadn't, you know, <laughs> I really hadn't had any experience of showing my work in a, in a festival setting at all, not even a short film, uh, which I think made it even worse. And I basically had to be given oxygen in the aisle outside uh, the cinema, you know, and also the film played at midnight. So it was like three o'clock in the morning and I was unbelievably jet lagged and, you know, and then, you know, the film is quite, you know, a weird film. And then at the end, you know, there's all these people just sat there in like un believe unbelieving shocked silence and i you know had to go and lie in the corner <laughs> afterwards oh my god this sounds in it just sounds insane i'll just be honest it sounds yeah. absolutely insane yeah <laughs> and then i'm wondering like because uh uh this is going to come out on july 24th in the u.s um have you thought about because since sundance it feels like that was a year ago by the way yeah. um I'm curious because so many of us uh, across the world have been sheltering in place for different amounts of time. Do you think it's going to have a different kind of a resonance versus maybe we even want to play the Sundance because um, a lot of it does take place in the house. Yeah, I think it will. And I think the idea of being in an enclosed space and that space being kind of a threat to you and, and also the way that, you know, because we've been shut inside, you know, I'm, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but you kind of endlessly replay your life and every decision that you've ever made in your life because you're suddenly kind of confined in, in a way that you wouldn't be otherwise and you're not distracted, you know, by uh, going to the movies or going out for drinks or whatever. So, yeah, I, I suppose it may have a different resonance. I mean, maybe people will relate to the idea of having to kind of, you know, reevaluate yourself as a human being and look at yourself anew or through the eyes of a you know, an external person that doesn't see you the way you see yourself. Yeah, I see that. I can also see like a meme, like, uh, what character are you? I'd be like, yeah, the one in the, uh, the, the one that's kind of sequestered away, I think might be a, a proper good way of describing that. <laughs> it's post-production you could go back in time and talk to pre-production you, what kind of advice would you share? Oh, um, I think the thing that I was really, I suppose, really unprepared for as an an actor is that you you just don't, uh, you don't really do post. You don't have, you have very little to do with post as an actor. And, you know, my short, I... Uh, obviously edited my short um but you know I took three days and the difference between a three-day edit and you know a three-month plus edit is is huge um and you know it's editing like they say is you know is is the part of the process that is you know the most significant and you know it's also the most emotionally demanding because you know writing you do alone you are you know pr pretty much by the time you come to like directing a, a film, most people are comfortable creating work on their own as a writer. You know, creating a piece of work uh, communally is what I've done my whole life because I'm an actor. So, you know, we work in groups or in pairs, you know, but editing, which is this one sing singular relationship, it's the creation of a piece of art you do with just one other person and you're locked in a room together for like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It's just it was an incredibly new experience for me and it was and it was wonderful but very intense so i think that that's the part that i would maybe try to go back and explain and i think more than anything i would i would probably just do what you know m most people 
would do and you you'd go back and you'd say you know you have to you really just have to you may never get to do it again you have to every single thing you want to do you really have to fight for which doesn't mean you know never take anyone else's advice but you know if you feel in your gut that something is the way it should be for a particular reason then you you know you have to really fight for it because you may never get to make another film well and do you think it'd be different going to direct someone else's like like script versus something you wrote I don't think so maybe so much for because I because I have because I you know my act, acting has been my job up to now and that's a completely interpretive art form I I absolutely would have felt comfortable directed in somebody else's work but I think often when people are starting out you know it, it having the opportunity to write you know writing your own script is something that you you know you want to do because you have you know however long it is 35 years of like internal psychological stuff you need to get out um but also it's because it gives you you know you have the ip because you own it and you could do what you like to it and you know it becomes easier in that way you know and, and in my experience working in the industry before i would say that you know on balance i there are obviously you know massive exceptions to this but on balance i've preferred working on scripts that have had the opportunity to go through the mind of the of a writer and the mind of a director because you know i find those conversations can often be uh, very productive for the final works i'm also curious like you're not known for acting in horror films but after making one do you think that's something you would consider being in and if so what qualities would you look for in, in that script when you when you work on a horror film it's exactly the same as working in any genre you know you have examples of any genre that are you know brilliant and you know, are asking big questions and having interesting conversations about things and wanting to show characters in all their com complexity. And then you have films that don't really want to do that, you know, and, and that's true of, of every genre. And I guess no matter what kind of film I was making or, or TV or theatre or whatever, I'd always be looking for, you know, for things that, you know, where there were big, big questions on the table. Okay, so the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And I'm curious, what are some things that you're so obsessed with right now? I just finished reading a book called The Righteous Mind by Jonathan Haidt, which is the subheading is why good people are divided by politics and religion. And I found that <laughs> a really, really profound and interesting book for our times. Uh, for our I, I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, for our politically divided times. Um, and oh, and I saw actually I saw an incredible film last night uh, called Swallow, which uh, is, I'm sure is available. Like I don't know if it's in the cinema in America, but I saw it. Um, uh, I downloaded it. I streamed it last night, uh, and that was an amazing film uh really really powerful and beautiful uh film um about a woman who uh i don't know if i should actually describe it to people but it's a, it's about a woman <laughs> dealing with um a, a terribly kind of um traumatic event from her childhood by uh swallowing small sharp objects it's a really a beautiful and amazing film i really recommend it um, I'm also curious, like, uh, obviously, with everything going on in the world, the pandemic, especially in the U.S. here, has halted productions on shows and films. Um, and you have, obviously, a lot of experience with productions. I'm curious, do you think this is going to change uh, the way the f films and TV are made? Yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I was laughing with my 
been laughing with my friends a lot on the phone because um so I mean particularly I've worked a lot on period dramas and on costume dramas and the idea of us doing our own hair and makeup <laughs> it's just like beyond uh ludicrous I don't I, I really don't know how that is supposed to work you know the idea of them dressing a wig and then all the actors having to come into the makeup and hair bus and like put on your own wig and how terrible we would all look all the time. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, like every kind of period drama that you think you love, you just really would not love if we, if the actors had done their own hair and makeup and costume. Um, I mean, I do think, I think that, you know, there are certain kind of um, physical uh, proximity issues, which I guess will have to be overcome which will, you know, will make the process of filming, which is already a very intense experience of people being thrust together in a very unnatural way, even more intense and extreme. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, that will, yeah, I'm sure create um, a million brilliant stories that people will be telling for generations. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so curious about where this is all going to lead to or if it's going to lead to more like smaller crews and smaller productions but then you got to wonder like what you know obviously people love those big blockbuster movies and how those will will get made i think my yeah my worry is also that it will just it will speed the inevitable kind of merging of of live action with ai because obviously you know physical actors are become are going to become increasingly less necessary to the filmmaking process and you know, I in like in this, I love everything physical. So even in this film, you know, we we did have CGI visual effects at the end, but you know, mainly the most of the effects of the film were practical effects. You know, and I love to see an actor, and I love to see their wrinkles and their pores, and like I want to see real life as it as it is. My you know, my desire is not to see some sort of like you know fantasy of life. Um, so yeah, in a way, I sort of fear that that will become an you know that that inevitable the progress of that inevitable kind of move will will get speeded up yeah it's, it's interesting especially because like the overall stuff like vr and stuff like that where obviously there is almost more of a th element of theater to it than even filmmaking yeah. um like what that might lead to I was to say, so it's 2020, and it's been 16 years since Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights came out. And a lot of us, that's how we got to know you. And I'm wondering, <laughs> when you look back on, on that film now, what does it mean to you? You know, I was very young at the time, and I don't think I was really kind of old enough or certainly not wise enough to really understand how to make an informed decision about what kind of, you know, career you want to have and, and and what you're capable of as a human being and but you know now that I'm older I certainly think it was, it was a great experience to have because I learned so much about about what the industry does to people particularly if you're a woman um and that's you know informed a lot of the kind of choices that I've made in my life which I think you know fundamentally have probably made me happier yeah and I think a lot of uh the public is learning a lot more of what like women have been going through, especially in production and with some of the scandals and stuff, which I, I don't want to get into here necessarily, but uh, I did want to do one follow-up with the Havana Nights and obviously he has passed away, but what was it like working and dancing with Patrick Swayze at that time? Oh, he was really nice. He was really nice because I was basically a terrible dancer. I mean, I went into the experience thinking I was amazing 
and very quickly learned that I was terrible. And <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, people who've been dancing their whole lives were just like, you know, having to lumber me around the room, like, you know, like a <laughs> massive bag of luggage, you know, like I had none of the kind of, you know, muscularity or grace or, you know, intrinsic understanding of music that these people had. And, you know, he was a really, you know, exceptionally brilliant dancer. And, you know, he was very gracious and kind every time that I stood on his feet. Um, and, yeah, that, that was really lovely and special. Also because, you know, I love Dirty Dancing, the original film, like so much it hurts. So, you know, it was it was an incredible thing for me to, um, you know, actually be standing there, like looking up into Patrick Swayze's eye, eyes, like actually kind of living out a scene from that film, you know, was, <laughs> you know, absolutely um, surreal and wonderful. And also, you know, he was just a, a real gentleman, lovely man. I read in another interview that before you wanted to be an actor, you said you were interested in journalism. And I'm wondering what appeals to you about that? I think actually when, when, funny enough, when they asked me that, the first thing I said was publishing. I think maybe I would have been interested in working in publishing. Mm. And the journalist who asked me the question was just like, that's the most boring answer I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so they Like I quickly had to come up with something else. But I mean, to be honest, I think, you know, when you when you start out, you know, and you feel like you might be creative, as awful as that sounds, but you you know, no one in my family were like writers or actors or artists. It feels like a very unobtainable uh, thing. And it certainly doesn't feel like that's any way that, you know, a, a sensible person would choose to make money. So, you know, I think I probably did think about, you know, well, maybe I could be a journalist and that's a way of writing, but, you know, that's a trade. Um, and, um, you know, my life, you know, I was very lucky and was presented with the opportunity to kind of go into you know, the more creative side of the industry, which, which like, obviously suits me much better. I would have been an absolutely terrible journalist. <laughs> so that's, that's good. <laughs> well, I'd like to challenge you on that though, because I'm curious now that you've actually, you've done a feature film, um, would you ever see yourself kind of doing something where journalism comes into it, like a documentary series or something like that? I am an incredibly dogmatic person who finds it very hard to see things from other people's points of view. So I think <laughs> I'd probably be the worst documentarian that has ever been. I mean, if people were looking for like polemics, um, then I'm sure I would be good at that. Um, but I mean, all the docu documentaries that I love and, you know, the, the people whose work I really admire, who really, you know, I don't know, have the capacity to have that sort of, you know, like I just read that book, um, Three Women, um, the the Lisa Tadeo book, which, you know, is, is such a, you know, you remove yourself and your ego so completely from the creative process. That's so like diametrically the opposite of who I am. <laughs> just, it's very <laughs> impressive when you see it done well. And I guess that's how you know you, you probably couldn't do that. <laughs> that's, I think that's a very fair answer. And it's good to know your limits, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to wrap up. I do a thing called pick one where I give you a couple choices and you pick one. It doesn't have to be necessarily the best one, but uh, we just encourage you to talk it out. But it's a great way to hit a lot of different topics pretty quickly. Uh, the first one is TV, film or theater? Uh, film. How come? Uh, it's just, you know, I, I love the theater, but for me, the experience of like 
being completely kind of eaten whole by a film it, you know in a in a in a cinema you know in in the theater with you know other people around you is like that's the closest i get to a kind of genuinely communal shared experience of 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 like joy which yeah i i love i love film and i love seeing it in in movie theaters and next one the shining or rosemary's baby oh no you can't do that again you don't have to choose it's not the best one you just you could talk it out a little bit uh (laughs) oh no i mean there's no way because any answer i gave that you know the next minute i would be like oh I mean, they're masterpieces. They're both masterpieces. I mean, okay, if you really had to push me, I'd go with Rosemary's Baby, probably because of the performances in the film. Just because, mm-hmm. you know, I love I love the performances in The Shining, but I think in Rosemary's Baby, I just don't know whether I could I could live another day without without saying that I chose, you know, Ruth Gordon and, and her performance in that film. It's so Yeah, amazing. and it, it- it's curious. I mean, I chose these two films to ask you, but it's curious because it is. Yeah, we have Nicholson's performance and Shelley Duvall and um, The Shining. But yeah, Rosemary's Baby in a weird way, or not a weird way, but is much more based on the performance as being kind of the the shocking versus the filmmaking of Stanley Kubrick in The Shining. Um, all right, yeah. next one. Yeah, iambic pentameter or prose? Oh, prose. All right, and next one: uh, green room or trailer? Green room. Uh, iPhone or Android? iPhone. All right. This next one, I don't know if it's going to be a, uh, a tough one for you, but I think you use these on your film. Cook lenses or Zeiss lenses? Oh, we well, you, we use both. Um, do I have... Well, what's, what's the difference, maybe, for those who might not know? Well, the Zeiss lenses, I'm I'm now sweating a lot. <laughs> oh, no, no. I don't, no, I don't mean to put you on the spot. The Zeiss lenses are sharper. You know, I remember Laura talking me through it very slowly, like I was an idiot. Uh, like, no, no, not because she was being patronizing, but because I am an idiot. Um, she so the Zeiss lenses are sharper, so uh, and the Cook lenses have a more uh, have a softer feel to them. So, I mean, it's hard to choose because you know they're both they perform different functions. I mean, personally, mm-hmm. I particularly loved the Cooks and the way that they made um, the house interiors on our on our film look. I hope I've got that the right way around. <laughs> I think you, I, uh, as from my knowledge of those, I believe that would be an accurate description. Right, so, think, yeah. but it's interesting because it's uh, as oh, obviously we are a tech website as well. Hearing you know people talk about lenses and stuff, it's a big. It the entire film goes through the lens, so that is a a big choice. But obviously, it's not something that a lot of people talk about. And the last thing, I can't believe I'm asking you this: uh, a period film or a horror movie. Oh, uh, at this stage in my life, uh, definitely a horror film. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank Romula for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed. And until next week, take care.